0: This is the Venturing Angler Podcast, sponsored by Nautilus Reels. In today's episode, we'll be chatting with Van Beecham of the Solitary Angler Guide Service in New Mexico. We'll chat with Van about all the great waters he has around him and planning trips to New Mexico to fly fish. Let's talk to Van. So we're here today with Van Beecham of the Solitary Angler in New Mexico. Uh, Van, great to have you. Um, Tell me where you're located and some of the waters you guide. Uh, We're located in Taos, New Mexico, which is in north-central New Mexico,
1: about an hour from the Colorado border. And our region is really the Rio Grande from southern Colorado all the way down to central New Mexico. Uh, Mostly the Rio Grande Gorge, which is a very deep canyon, and all the tributaries that run into that river
0: as well. Terrific. And you have a long list of uh, waters that are included in that. What are some of the ones that people get most excited about or attract a number of people?
1: Well, you know, I'd like to say it was the Rio Grande Gorge, but it's so difficult to get in and out of. I would say the majority of our people don't really fish there. So we fish the tributaries of the Rio Grande, and uh, they're smaller streams, more intimate easier to get to and uh, usually have better fishing opportunities. Um, a few of those would be the Rio Hondo, the Red River, uh, the Rio Costilla, which has uh, pure Rio Grande cutthroats. It's one of the only streams that still has those. And a lot of people come up to fish those. And then just north of there into central, uh, southern Colorado, we have uh, uh, some private waters that we fish that are probably our most popular and that's Culebra Creek. And it's a tailwater. And it has uh, rainbows and browns that average 16 to 20 inches. It grows really big fish because it's a tailwater. And it fishes year-round. We have year-round fly fishing. That's what makes northern New Mexico and southern Colorado so unique. And then another stream that we fish a lot is the Conejos River. It's a much larger stream. It probably has half of the Rio Grande drainage flows out of the Conejos River into the Rio Grande. And a couple of tributaries off of that river as
0: well. So we have a lot of area that we fish, most of it within an hour, hour and a half of Taos. So, your year round fishery, what are some of the different seasons like in the Taos area and, and within your reach?
1: Well, that's really an interesting question because we fish different waters at different times of the year, obviously. Uh, for instance, the Rio Grande is best in the early spring, and then summer comes, it's really not very good. It gets pretty warm. And then we fish it again in the fall and we fish it all winter long. It's a great winter fishery, as well as the Red River, which runs into it. The Red River is the main spawning tributary for the Rio Grande, and it has spawning browns in the fall, has spawning cut and cut, I mean, cut bows and rainbows in the uh, spring and winter. And so we fish that a lot in the winter and spring. Um, and then all the high country streams we fish from, oh, late May, when the runoff starts to go down, all the way through October. And then our, our crown jewel, the Culebra Creek, is fishable year-round. So we fish that virtually all year. It's got something to do all, all year long.
0: So as someone who loves fishing year-round, I think like anybody else, um, but also wants to uh, plan my trips around maybe local events, are there any big hatches or uh, seasonal considerations when it comes to bugs and other fishing events? Matter of fact, it is like anywhere
1: uh, we have different things that hatch at different times of the year. Um, spring, when the runoff is is coming off, there's very little hatch-oriented fishing except for on Culebra Creek, where we do have betas hatches and midge hatches. Um, but other than that, we have hatches uh, the rest of the year. So starting in early summer, we have the gamut of uh, you know the, all the PMDs, and that goes right into uh, golden stone flies and salmon flies on various rivers. And then we, of course, get into the late-season terrestrial bugs and all the typical stuff like that. Now, there's a couple of places where we have the really big salmon fly hatches, like on the Conejos River, and really the the big, giant green drakes. And that takes place July and August. Um, And then, of course, September comes along. We get back into the fall betas. The Rio Grande is really good with fall betas, as well as a lot of the other small streams in the area. And probably one of the most hatch-oriented streams we have is the uh, Cimarron River. It's the only river we fish that does not run into the Rio Grande. It's on the east side of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, about 45 minutes from Taos, and it's just prolific with browns uh, that range 8 to 14, 15 inches, wow. uh, you know, lots of fish per mile for a small stream, and it's really hatch-oriented, and it has hatches starting in April all the way through October.
0: Great. And then in the winter, is it mostly nymphing with midges? Yes. And and, and of
1: course, in the winter, we do get a little dry fly action on Culebra Creek with midges and on the Rio Grande. But I'd say 90% of it from about mid to late October all the way through about early April the vast majority of that is nymph fishing so you can imagine we start to get a little bit anxious for the dry fly sure, fishing sure. as soon as we see a rise or a fish come up we <laughs> switch over it's like we haven't we haven't fly fished for uh, dry flies in so long we we're anxious
0: especially coming out of the fall or late summer terrestrial season when you're probably throwing big hoppers and that's all sorts correct. of fun stuff that is correct that's right and then when it starts to end you're like oh man <laughs> you know you you see anything
1: you just want to do cuz you know you're going to be nymphing for the next 4 months
0: right you know? right Um, And in those winter months, what is the weather like? Is there a range of... You know, that's the great thing about northern New Mexico, is that we have,
1: uh, it's a real high, dry desert area in in the lower reaches. You know, we have the mountains that go up to 13,000, 14,000 feet. We're not even anywhere near those in the wintertime. We're down in the Rio Grande Gorge where it's beautiful and sunny and it's a south-facing sun there. And uh, so we're down there fishing on the Lower Red River and the Rio Grande Gorge, and it's absolutely fantastic beauty. Having said that, the vast majority of it requires a hike, so you got to be in fairly good shape, be able to get down there. Can't be faint of heart or anything like that. And then you got to be able to hike out at the end of the day. Uh, but even down there, we'll get a caddis hash on a warm day. You know, in the middle of summer, it's not uncommon to get a heat wave like we've been having. Just sure. like we've been having here, as you guys have been experiencing. Right. We've had this big high pressure over us. And the days have been in the 50s and even low 60s, which is quite nice in that kind of sun. Because uh, we don't have a lot of wind either. Very little
0: wind. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's attractive it, enough right there. It's a lot like today. You know, it's <laughs> this kind of
1: weather sometimes. and uh, But then you can be up in Taos Valley skiing the next day. And a lot of people come out in the winter they ski tow ski valley one of the finest skiers in the united states and then the next day
0: they call us up and go fishing that's terrific that's a dream right there yeah that is a dream so i know you've been guiding a long time are there any trips that stand out as a memorable trip that you've had over the years well of course there's several but i'd have to say there's one and i'll, I'll leave the guy's
1: names out because i want to protect the innocent here but uh this guy he read my book and He'd fished with me several times at different places and he really wanted to go fish the lower Red River and the Rio Grande where they come together in the middle of winter because there's some big rainbows in there. It's probably the most famous, I mean not famous, but probably the most beautiful place you can fish in New Mexico from the standpoint of just majestic beauty. And it's world class in the middle of winter. you got these big rainbows coming up into the Red River and in the Rio Grande itself. and. Uh, You know, it's absolutely fantastic fishing at times. So he saw that in my book and said, we want to go there. There's two guys. Now, both of these guys are a little overweight. Both of them, one of them has bad knees. It had snowed the night before, and there was about an inch of snow on the ground, which is like the worst because it's just a skiff. And the Rio Grande Gorge is literally every, you can't hardly step on ground. You're on boulders all day long. And so we had just a few miles north of there, we could have gone to the Culebra Creek and we could have fished on grass and been nice and easy. We would have caught a lot of fish and it's private. And I even told them I wouldn't charge them a rod fee and all this stuff. They said, no, 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 we want to go there. And I mean, I just had the worst feeling about this trip. It was like a premonition almost. (laughs) So we get to the turnoff and I pull over again. I say, are you sure you guys want to do this? This It's really not a good idea. It's kind of dangerous. And especially, I didn't want to tell them because you're, you know, <laughs> and rickety knees and all that stuff. So I was really being very polite about it. And they said, no, no, this is where we want to go. And especially his guest, he really wanted to go there. So we get over there and we get there and I give him the whole uh, safety speech. Be very careful. Don't step on rocks. Try to step between them. You know, uh, let's be very, very careful today. We don't want to have any accidents and all this kind of stuff. So we get out there, we go down the trail, they did that fine. We fished on the Rio Grande, and I mean, fishing was fantastic. It was actually better than I expected. So we were fishing down the Rio Grande to the confluence of the Red River, and we caught several browns and rainbows, and everybody was doing good. I was feeling pretty good about the trip. So we fish up the Red River to our lunch spot, and there's a little shelter there in the middle of nowhere that they put in there several years ago, so it's a nice little place to get out and have your lunch. And so we had lunch, and I was cleaning up. I said, okay, you go down right over here and fish, and you go right over here and fish. And I said, whatever you do, there's a big boulder there. Do not stand on that boulder. Get down into the river and actually slide down into the river on your butt and get down there and fish the pool from there. There's always a good fish in there. So he was all excited, and he goes down. And I'm cleaning up, and I'm getting ready. I mean, I hadn't been three minutes, and I hear... Help! Help! <laughs> oh, no. And it wasn't kind of help, I've got a fish. It was like, help, I'm in danger. And I knew what was right below that hole was a shoot, that if he goes down, oh. he's probably dead. So I just jumped. I mean, I'm, I was crazy to do this myself, but it's about a 40-foot drop down into this, I mean, straight down almost, and I just slid down, like, you know, skiing almost. I got down there, and I go around the tree where he's at, and he's sitting on the very rock I told him not to get on. <laughs> he's soaking wet to his head. And I look at him and I say, okay, you're okay. You're not, you know, you're soaking wet. Is there anything else wrong? And he says, yeah, I think I broke my ankle. Oh. I think I heard something snap. And I said, oh, well, let's see. Your rod's in the water. Let me pick that up. Well, it wasn't your rod that snapped. So you think it's your ankle? And he said, yeah, I think I broke my ankle. Oh, no. We're a mile and a half in the bottom of a gorge, at two o'clock in the afternoon, it gets dark at five, and we got to walk a mile and a half straight up on switchbacks. So I get him out and I say, "Okay, well, you know, it took me a couple of minutes. He was—I didn't want him to go into shock or anything, so I said, "We got to get you out of the river. We got to get you up to that shelter up there." So I went to go get his buddy, and his buddy was catching fish and didn't even want to come help. I couldn't oh. believe it. I was like, oh. "What kind of friend is that?" Right? Right. So I helped him up the. The bank, we got him up there. I pulled down his waders. He wasn't soaked below his waist, he was only soaked from the top up because the waders had kept him dry. And I did not want to unloosen his boot because it would just swell up like a nickel balloon. So I gave him five ibuprofen right there. I said, Trust me on this, you want to stop the swelling. Right. I know a little bit about this. You wouldn't normally take up five ibuprofen, but today you're going to. So he took him and I said, I'm gonna go get your buddy. Um, I gave him some of my, I took some of his clothes off. I gave him some of my dry clothes that I was wearing. And I said, you're going to have to make a decision while I go get your buddy. And you're going to have to decide whether you're going to stay down here while we go get help. In which case you may end up spending the night down here or they may carry you out in a gurney. Wow. Or if you think you can walk, we'll get you a couple of canes and we'll help you out of here. And... This guy had the most good nature. He was laughing; literally, had a smile on his face. <laughs> he wasn't going, "Oh, oh, we're in pain." He wasn't complaining. He wasn't doing anything. And so I went and got his buddy, and his buddy was already fished had already fished way upstream, and was just so con- concentrated on his fishing. It was like he almost didn't think it was as severe of a situation as it was. Wow! So I, I, I just signaled to him because he was quite a ways upstream and I said go up because there was a spot where he could go up and meet us on the trail so he did and I came back and the guy said I already knew he wasn't going to stay there right I got back and I, I, I found two sticks for him and we walked out of that sucker and he didn't complain once and I've got a picture even in my book of him sitting there taking a break and pointing at his ankle with a big old smile on his face and then he came back and we took him out again. After he got well, he said, i got to go back down. <laughs> so he came back, and we went back down to just him and I this time. Right. And he didn't break anything. Everything was fine. <laughs> but when he got to the hospital, they had to cut his wagers off. And they were like, where were you? And they, these guys, they know the real Grande going. Sure. And he told them where they were, where we were. And he's like, are you kidding? You walked out of there? So he takes an uh, x-ray of it, and it's got two spiral fractures. Oh, my gosh. Now the doctor said if those had been a compound fractures he could have never done it. But because they were spiral fractures, as long as he stayed up and down he was
0: able to get out of there. Wow!
1: And there's it's so steep we have to actually go up a staircase. There's a staircase that you have to go up.
0: That's incredible.
1: And, and a couple of ladders and he he did it all. And he never complained once. And I'll never forget that.
0: That and that that's bad and that sounds like it could have been worse depending on his personality or anything else. And it sounds like he had to have a chat with his friend afterwards. Too. <laughs> I, I told him, I said,
1: with friends like that who needs enemies. But, right. You know, I, he took it with good nature. He was good-natured about the whole thing. Once the guy got up there, he helped us out. You know? Sure. We, did, we only yeah, had yeah. to help him at one spot, and that was on the ladder. That was the only place we had to actually wow. help him out. Now, uh, he told me, though, after all that was said and done, he said, next time you tell me you think that we shouldn't do something, I'm going to listen right. to you next time.
0: And I know that if I come down your way, I'm going to be listening to you, too. Right. So, um, the, the, there's... Some anecdotes in that story, but do you have funny stories as well from over the years? Oh, yeah,
1: there's this one story that it's got to beat them all. We were up at Trinchera Ranch, which is a big 180,000-acre ranch in southern Colorado with a beautiful lodge and everything, and we'd take corporate groups there. And this one group, who is a neighbor of my partner's, he brought his all his buddies up. And, I mean, these guys are real friends. It wasn't a corporate group. These guys are real friends that grew up together, They're the type of people that give each other, you know, a lot of crap and just, you know, buggy, you know, just give each other crap all the time. And they actually like to drink a little bit. Even starting in the morning, they'll start with Bloody Marys and then they go on. And so this one guy, he's probably, again, I won't mention his name because we want to protect his (laughs) innocence because he was just, he was probably 80 pounds overweight, okay, big Texan. And we go out to this lake and the lake's a little bit low. So there's mud around the lake and he sees these fish rising. And the other guys are sitting there drinking beer for lunch and he sees these fish rising, he can't resist it. So he's I'm gonna go out there and catch me one of those little fish. <laughs> and so he goes out there and he wades out into this mud. And it wasn't like that kind of silt that goes up to your knee. It was only up to like the base of his shoe. Huh. But it was the kind of mud that once you get in, it's just clay kind right. of, and he could not move. He got out there and he started casting and he hooked a fish, he went to move. He, he couldn't move, the fish gets off. He turns around, and we're all standing behind the car laughing at him so hard because he it goes on for 10, 15 minutes. And those guys are carrying on. I, I couldn't stop laughing. It was the funniest thing, watching this guy. And so he falls down. Now, he, now he's now he got his feet and his hands. And he cannot move. He's stuck like a, like a dog. Oh, my gosh. And so he, like, wants us to come help him, but none of us can stop laughing long enough to come <laughs> help him. So finally I get myself together, and I come out there, and he says... I'm telling you don't come out here I'm telling you you come out here you'll be stuck too (laughs) go get a stick or something we're going to have to get and it's like I can get you out I step in the mud and that's not bad I take two steps and I'm stuck oh my gosh now I'm stuck and I can't reach him so now they're laughing everybody's laughing at the two of us now (laughs) and then I fall backwards and now I've got one hand behind me stuck two feet stuck I can't get up Finally, they all come out there, and they find a log, and they, and they finally get us out. But, I mean, they were laughing at us the entire time and, t- you know, taking pictures and everything else. And when he got out, he had mud. He was just completely covered in mud. The whole, his whole body was like he was swimming in it. It was hilarious. That's
0: funny. That sounds like it's right out of a cartoon. Oh, it was just great. Um, that's great. Um, so uh, tell us about uh, your guide service, The Solitary Angler. Well, the solitary angler, I started
1: it 35 years ago, and I hate to say I'm that old, um, 1982. I'm that old, too. <laughs> uh, no, you're not. no, you're not. But uh, I started it in Red River, New Mexico, and then a couple of years later, I moved to Taos, and my partner, Jack, wasn't my partner. He came in and went fishing with me, and he was looking for something to do besides go back into the oil field. So I said, well, I'm looking for someone to run the shop so I can do my guiding, and he got behind that. Desk that afternoon. Oh wow! And he stayed there for 34 years. He never closed for lunch. He never closed for anything. He's a really dedicated guy. And uh, our business grew and developed. And uh, we actually sold it at one point. Uh, I got out of the retail part and kept the guide service. Changed the name to Solitary Angler from Los Rios Anglers to Solitary. And then uh, he sold it. And then we reconnected and kept going. And Uh, I saw early on that fishing was becoming so popular, and i got to tell you, born and raised fourth generation native New Mexican, when I was growing up, I had rivers all to myself. And uh, I saw that it was becoming so popular, you couldn't get away from the people anymore. Mm. And I was actually the first guide, one of the first two guides on the San Juan River, way back in 1981. And, uh, it got so popular that I completely gave my permit up and I stayed in the Taos area and stopped guiding on the San Juan because there was too many people and changed my name to the solitary Angler because I don't like to be around people when I fish I like my nice. clients to have a really good experience that doesn't involve urban fishing Right, and that's what we're all about is trying to get people away from the crowds our, our motto is quality fly fishing without the crowds and so I started leasing up properties right and left before it was popular to do that and I got ranches and all sorts of things. Now, I've lost a lot of those over time. They've sold to billionaires and then they throw you off and whatnot. But I've still got lots of stuff in New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming. And I've got a private fly fishing club that people join and can fish our private waters without a guide. And, you know, a lot of people, they fish with a guide. And after a couple of times, they're really good fishermen. They don't need a guide, but they want to fish those waters. So mm-hmm. it just kind of grew from there. And so I've got a guide service, a fly fishing club. And we guide uh, all of northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, Wyoming. Uh, We guide on private ranches that have lavish, nice, beautiful lodges, all the way down to rustic camping and backcountry fishing and uh, pack trips into wilderness areas in Wyoming and whatnot. And the great thing for me is that I I do all of it. So I get to travel around. I never get tired of it. You know, the thing about the San Juan was you got three miles after about three days of fishing, the same three miles, you're like, okay, I've done this. (laughs) So I fish a different spot virtually every day when I'm guiding. My guides all love it because they get to fish all these beautiful, wonderful spots. And because of the variety we have now, you know, year-round, About the time you're tired of one thing, it's time to go to the next thing. And so uh, I'd have to say I'm probably one of the luckiest guys in the guide service uh, because I don't have to fish those same spots every day.
0: That's fantastic. As someone, uh, myself, who used to be a Denver-based guide, One of the big issues was access and then crowds, and so Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you've got a good situation going. Uh, Last question, um, and this relates to planning a trip down there, but um, every area is special in its own way, especially with flies. Um, Are there any favorite flies for your region?
1: Well, I've got a fly that I developed years ago and probably been developed by 100,000 people over the years. It's the same fly but we all think we developed flies. Everybody thinks they developed flies, but guess what, someone, (laughs) you know, my great grandfather probably had the same fly I have or something similar to it, because what you do is you look at a bug and then you tie it, right? Well, what I found early on is, through taking some stomach samples, is that 80% of all nymphs are the same drab color. They're anywhere from light gray to dark black Mm -hmm. or olive in between. And uh, they're anywhere from a size eight to a size 22. So I just tied what I call rag flies. They don't have any ribbing, they're just a tail, a body, and a thorax, but I don't do a case. I just taper it so that it looks the same no matter which way you look at it. It's probably become the most popular fly in Northern New Mexico for people, uh, nymph fishing anyway. Um, And then for dry fly fishing, Of course, all the flies that everybody uses, but I have one that I developed called the Ginger Dunn. It's much like a PMD, but it's just a slightly different color. Uh, In New Mexico, we have a fly that we call the Ginger Dunn. It's not really a PMD, and it's really abundant there. I don't know why. I don't see them up in Wyoming very Hmm. much, and uh, they work really, really well. And then another one that I developed is a soft tackle streamer. It's a very simple tie. I'm not into tying fancy things, and it just involves... uh, basically some crystal flash with some wound um, marabou. instead of placing it on and tying it, we actually wind it on. And so it gives it a much puffier look. And then when it gets in the water, it looks just like a minnow. And those are the three top flies that I use probably. Terrific.
0: Well, Van, I appreciate the conversation. And to uh, check out more from Van Beecham and the Solitary Angler, check out out Van's book, uh, The Fly Fisher's Guide to New Mexico, and also Mm thesolitaryangler.com.